Unity Community of Central Oregon's podcast. A new thought minister with degrees in anthropology, environmental studies, cybernetics, and the systems sciences. She has worked as a futurist, college professor, and consultant to businesses and governments before she realized that our problem is not what we don't know, but our state of consciousness. And so with that nugget, she decided to enter ministry. She has written numerous books, many of which are on the table in the foyer, so please make sure you have a chance to browse and or purchase any of those. But numerous books on applied metaphysics and the history of new thought and is currently working on a series of books and articles exploring the nature of our culture and the possibility of a sustainable, harmonious culture for humanity in the future. So I'd like to welcome a glimpse of the new world to come, as Eric just sung about, as we invite Dr. Ruth Miller up to the stage. happening as the glaciers began to recede to the north. 
Because during the time the glaciers were here, there weren't many opportunities to do much of anything except hunt big game. Yeah, and some of you may be aware that there are people up in the Arctic region who live almost completely off of animal protein and fat. There isn't anything else. And that seems to have been the norm for a number of peoples during the time that the glaciers were covering the earth, what we call the Ice Age. And as they were beginning to pull away, some amazing things happened. Now, some of you have been to visit glacier areas, yes? Alaska, the Columbia Glacier, I was a kid when we went, yeah. And so as the glacier is pulling back, right, what, what happens? There's this incredibly rich soil, and it's filled with all these wonderful, wonderful plants. Some of those seeds have been down there for decades. We have seeds in the Siskiyous that were still alive during the Ice Age. They're, they're, they're recovering, you know, they're re recontinuing, they're continuing to give life. And as the glaciers pull back, can you imagine people who could only eat the big game were discovering, oh my goodness, here's this wonderful little bulb. Oh, here are these delicious berries. Oh, here's this wonderful, oh, check, taste this leaf. Mmm, mmm, mmm. That kind of thing that they had not had. And there was also a, a, a tendency to conserve because during the Ice Ages, everything was automatically conserved, right? It was frozen in the ice. Yeah, and one of my favorite memories growing up is when my mother heard about the mastodon that they had found that had buttercups on its tongue. It was so suddenly frozen. Right? Yeah. Uh, and apparently these were some Russian scientists, and I think they had a little bit of a feast that night. Um, but <laughs> the idea is that in that time and space, they were accustomed to doing things in some you know, ways that we're not used to thinking about. Now, we have been taught that humanity prior to civilization was living in caves and was barely able to get by and so on. I'm here to tell you that ain't so. Not by a long shot. And in fact, we have villages that were founded in that period when the glaciers were moving forward northward um, that for as long, you know, had running water, had sewer systems, had um, no violent deaths for 800 years, where people were located near river systems, and it looks as if they were what we call matrilocal, not matriarchal. And I want to point out that in all the archaeology and all the ethnology that anyone that I know has ever been able to explore, there is no matriarchy. There is no place where the women ruled. There are places, many places, where they are separate but equal. And apparently in those villages, that was the norm. So the women had their sphere, and the men had their sphere, and they would only come together now and then. And in the women's sphere, it was about 
those delicious berries and grains and bulbs and you know storing and making home and making beauty and making a safe place for the child to grow up. Because one of the things that we don't usually think about is the only reason any kind of social system exists is so that kids can be safe until they're grown up. <laughs> Families and villages, that's what we're here for. Isn't that interesting? So that was the women's sphere. The men's sphere was reaching out into the larger world and bringing things back in. Whether that was hunting or fishing, whether that was trading, whether that was going on a quest and discovering whole new ways of being and then bringing that knowledge back. Those of you who have read The Clan of the Cave Bear and the Mammoth Hunters and those guys will remember some of these things. Jean Owl did her homework. <laughs> so in that world, the women's world tended to focus on the fact that the mother, the earth, provided every material thing. The Latin word for mother is mater, M-A-T-E-R. Material comes from that. And matrix is that. Okay, matrix, matrix. And matter are all from the mother. So if it is material, it is from the feminine aspect of the divine, if you will. And the men's world was a world of power and motion and energy and novelty, and that was the world of the father, the spirit, if you will. And there were varying stories, but basically the sun and the sky was the realm of the masculine, and the earth and the water was the realm of the feminine. So we have several things going on here. We have a tendency to be in touch with and be comfortable with and be happy with and be joyful and be appreciative of the mater, the mother, the earth. And a realization that blessing brings forth more blessing. Gratitude brings forth more to be grateful for. And so we get social systems, faith systems that are based on that. Sound familiar? <laughs> Apparently, that way of developing, which was common among the river valleys and the lakes throughout what we now call the Mediterranean region, was interrupted seriously somewhere about 4,000 years after the glaciers left. And so about 6,000 BC, that a pattern started to happen which became fully entrenched by 4,000 BC, and BCE in modern terminology. BC for those of you who went to school prior to 1980, BCE for those of you who came to school afterwards, before the Common Era. <coughs> And so what was beginning to happen was very interesting. And, and my hypothesis, and so far it's, it's bearing out, is that as the glaciers continued to move further north, those cultures that remained with the glaciers, who remained tied to those animals, found that those animals were disappearing. And so they started conserving animals that could continue to provide their meat and the other things that they needed. 
and they started going to the places where the glaciers were. And if you look at the Mediterranean region, let's see, I will go this way. So we got the Mediterranean kind of like this, and right north of the Mediterranean, out of which flows the Euphrates and Tigris rivers, right, is a set of mountains we call the Caucasus, from which the Caucasians of this world emerged. If you have skin as light as mine, you are definitely Caucasian, no matter how many other things we have in our bodies. So, Caucasus, the Caucasians, appears to be one of the places where there were remaining bits of glacier and there was a lifestyle based on the kind of life that the great hunters of the Ice Ages lived. Now, I'm going to do a quick description of that, and it's a story of the, the women keep the, the kids safe while the men go out and collect, you know, collect however many animals they can collect, and then they all bring it back, and then for months they live off of that and tell stories about this incredible hunt and how so-and-so was so courageous and so-and-so did such a great job, and so-and-so showed up as the leader of the hunt. Night after night after night around the campfires, maybe making things out of bone or hide while they're telling the story. That's a very different kind of story from what's going on in the river valleys. It's a very different kind of understanding about how people relate and support each other. And so it appears that as the glaciers continued to recede and those animals continued to be gone, they began to have herds. They would collect herds of cattle, herds of goat, and they became what are called pastoralists. Okay? So I've got horticulturalists, gardening people along the rivers, and I've got pastoralists in the mountains. But the pastoralists are still telling the same stories about the great hunts. And now it's about, oh, there was a wolf and I got him, or there was a lion and I protected the herd, or there was whatever. Now, one of the things about the Caucasus is it's one of the most volcanically active areas. It's full of thunderstorms and earthquakes, and things happen. And my hypothesis is that a group of kids got separated, a group of boys who were out tending the herds got separated from the rest of the family. And that this happened on a fairly frequent basis. And they basically raised themselves on these stories without any of the balancing factors of having grandparents and mothers around. And so, if you read The Lord of the Flies, you know where I'm going. <laughs> these boys formed their own hierarchy, their own social systems, their own ideas of how life should be lived. And it was based on whoever is the biggest, most powerful gets to have the most. And whoever is weak gets to be dominating. So it's a domineering, dominating culture that they began to form just to survive, just to get by. But one of the things that happens when you got a bunch of boys is they start growing up and boys are not sufficient, so they start looking for girls. But they don't have any of the social training that kids who've grown up with women would have. So what do they do? They see a girl and they take her, just like they would have with the boy. They dominate and dominate. 
And this appears to be what happened. Starting about 6000 BC is about every 200 years, and the appendices in my book talk about how every 200 years, all the way to George W. Bush, Caucasians have gone into the lands of other people and taken what they wanted for whatever reason they had. Now, this led over a couple thousand years to the formation of what we call empire. And so my tenet, if you will, is that that way of thinking, and some of you may remember Daniel Quinn's book, Ishmael, the taker culture became the dominant culture because it would go in, so local folks are into sharing and egalitarianism, and these guys come in and they take. Or they're herding a bunch of cows, and if you read the early, early, early Vedic scriptures, you learn that they were joyfully trampling the gardens with their herds of cows. They were literally destroying the means by which people could live if they were gardening cultures. And there was another piece, too, in that egalitarian world, the woman who embodied the deepest wisdom and was able to access intuition and get a sense of the relationship of the people with the earth would become the embodiment of the mother for the culture. She would be the voice of the mother. And that would be as close as we could get to matriarch. Okay? And on the, in the men's world where they're practicing running and practicing hunting and practicing target shooting and all of these things, the man who is best able to do those things and mentor the others becomes the voice for the father. And in almost all these gardening cultures, at the equinox, the solstice, and the cross points in between, there are holy days where we recognize the relationship between the sun and the earth, the father and the mother, and on the holy days, the two most important central people in the culture would come together in the holy marriage. Okay? And sometimes that would last a lifetime, and sometimes that would just be for a specific day, depending on the culture. When these big guys came out of the mountains with their horses and their cows, they tended to be larger and stronger than most of the people in the gardening villages. They'd grown up on protein, a lot more protein, a lot less vegetables, tended to be you know, the big, blonde, red-headed guy. And they would win the contests. And they would win, quote-unquote, in their mind, the rights to the voice of the goddess. And they would declare that they were her consort. And everyone could not say no, because that was the rules of how they lived. They didn't know how to say no. You don't get to do this. Until Gilgamesh. The epic of Gilgamesh is telling us all about how one of these big guys who doesn't belong in our town comes in and he is taking whatever he wants and he is raping the women and he is you know, running off with this and he's causing all this havoc and they try to figure out what to do. It's a really wonderful book. And in the epic of Gilgamesh, the villagers, the townspeople get together and they say, we can't let this continue, what can we do? And they say, we need to get him a good friend. And they arranged for a wild man out in the countryside to come into town. And the two of them, the Gilgamesh and his wild men, go off on adventures together. And that sort of saves the town. 
And that was just a few hundred years before Sargon became emperor, the very first emperor of all of humanity, about 6,000 years ago. So the taker culture and the emperor culture and the urban culture and the, the idea of cowboys and ranchers, <laughs> yeah, farmers and ranchers and all of that has been with us for a very long time. And it is my thesis that it is the core of the culture we grew up in. But we don't have to grow up in it anymore. And one of the joys about this last 2,000 years has been there was a voice, a man, who opened the door to not having life be like that. Now, when I started studying anthropology when I was a teenager, there were about 4,000 other cultures besides this empire culture, which is now called the global culture, you know, which people are saying Americans are imposing on the rest of the world. It is the empire culture continuing to grow and expand. It must grow and expand because it destroys everything. It doesn't conserve anything. It is the taker so it has to continue to expand to survive. The market has to continue to grow. The business has to continue to grow to survive. It's a, it's a whole set of values. Am I getting myself across here? Yeah, all right. So these ideas, this whole set of values has become normal. The first emperor in every empire I can find is a blonde. One redhead, Inca. Every empire I can find is one. Caucasians. <laughs> Caucasians and the empire culture have become the global culture. As I said, when I first started anthropology as a teenager, there were 4,000 other cultures on the planet. 20 years ago, there were 400. I think we're down to about 50. This culture has dominated the planet. But as I say, about 2,000 years ago, there was a voice that said, within the framework that we have been taught, we can transcend those values. We can start living from love and compassion. We can start honoring the way the plants grow, honoring the conservative nature of gardening. And if you'll think about what Jesus did, all of his stories almost were about gardeners. They weren't about Farmers, they were about gardeners. We're assuming farmers because that's our culture. Right? Interesting. So if we think about that, what we have, were given over the last 2,000 years is the opportunity to reframe and not automatically go to the cultures, the values, the values of the culture that we grew up in. I'm, I'm honored and delighted that we have some people of Islam here. The people of peace, Isfalam, Israel, the people of God, El, Isfalam, the people of peace. And when Muhammad came on the planet, blessed be his name, we have someone saying, you're all trying to get what you want the way you want to get it, and that doesn't work. We can't be fighting each other to all get what we want. We have to start working together and focusing on our unity, our oneness, and allow the one God, the one divinity that is supporting all to work through us. 
and support us all, and to listen to that and appreciate that. Thank you for continuing that tradition. <laughs>